Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast that will teach you to take your Shopify store and turn it into a business growing sales machine. It has the latest marketing, email, sales, SEO, and social media advice, and also has strategies and tips from the experts without fluff. Your host is Nick Truman. He's a Shopify expert and an education partner with the Shopify approved course, 1000 Sales and Beyond. He's the CEO of JustAskParker.com, a global specialist marketing agency for Shopify owners. Nick has over 13 years experience in digital marketing from PPC and SEO through to digital transformation of businesses. He's helped hundreds of brands from startup Shopify stores through to international enterprises that operate in hundreds of countries. Nick will be sharing his knowledge and interview the experts to help you in your journey to success. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Nick Truman. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Winning with Shopify podcast. For anybody who hasn't tuned in before, my name's Nick. I'm the host of the podcast. I'm also the CEO at Just Ask Parker, which I think you've just heard on the pre-roll. Have to be honest, I haven't listened to it for a while, and I think I've said that in the last couple of episodes. So apologies. I will go back and have a quick listen. If you haven't already, please support the show by the hitting the subscribe button. Especially if you're in the UK, like me, please leave us a review. We've noticed our reviews in the UK are good. They're just a really low volume of reviews. So if you could do that, that'd be absolutely brilliant. It's just as important as getting your customers to review on Shopify as well. For anyone that's been listening for the last few weeks, you'll know that we're in the middle of quite an interesting series at the moment. We are talking to Shopify store owners or people working within a business that has a Shopify store that's a core part of the organization, finding out how they got started, the mistakes they made, how they do their marketing, all that sort of stuff as well. And with that in mind, I'd like to introduce my very special guest for today. His name's Trevor. He's from a business called Buddy Brands. So welcome to the show, Trevor. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself just before we dive in? Sure, Nick. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my name's Trevor Krotz. I'm the president of Buddy Brands, and we make uh, solution-based pet products that solve real problems for pet people, and we sell them through our own sites and through other partner sites, as well as some brick-and-mortar channels in the United States. Really, the focus of all of our products are solving allergies, itching, pain, mobility, and anxiety. Nice. I think it's a, certainly just, just before we dive into any of the detail, just want to say it's great to hear that you're doing something that's good for the world. Because I think there's so many stores out there, and certainly we get a lot of inquiries that just ask Parker. People doing drop shipping or something they've just bought on you know, Alibaba and chuck their logo on it, that sort of thing. It's good to hear that you're actually solving a problem. So I think before we dive in, do you want to explain how that came about? Are you a dog owner that had a dog with an issue or where did it all sort of come from? Sure. So the story for us starts about 10 years ago. I was working in the mattress industry as a corporate trainer and I was teaching people how to sell and I was selling you know, mattresses to people. And I've always been a, a big dog guy, and, and I've had my first my first big dog, Buddy, um, was about three or four years old at the time. And I was really surprised on a routine visit to the vet to discover that that he didn't have a very long life expectancy. And my vet told me he was only expected to live about ten years. And I said, "Well, how can this be?" He was half lab, half poodle. You know, I had a little poodle growing up, and she lived to be fifteen or sixteen. And he said, "Well, big dogs like this just don't live as long." And so, upon doing some research. I found out the number one reason why big dogs don't live that long is because of quality of life issues usually associated with painful joint problems. And big dogs on average live about four years less um, because of their painful joint problems. And so 
knowing firsthand how mattresses had really helped customers that I dealt with and helped them with painful joint problems, helped them provide a, a better quality sleep, and really just helped them overall being more happy and healthy, I decided that I needed to get something for my dog as a proactive measure that's supportive and, and going to help him as he gets older. And when I went out to the market, I quickly found there was really nothing out there. The only orthopedic dog bed I could find was really, uh, it was using an egg crate foam, which is the same type of stuff that you use in shipping packages, but not in, not in mattresses, right? And so I decided right there that there was an opportunity to make a business and to take the same science that made the mattress industry and basically cross it over into pets. And so we decided to do something proactive for Buddy and millions of dogs out there that were destined to suffer from painful joint problems and we created Buddy Rest. And that's really kind of the impetus that got us started. I will tell you in the very beginning, it, it did not all work as planned. In our first show, we took a product to a outdoor dog show and everything was just a mess. In fact, we had a website that didn't work. We only had one product. We didn't have anything that we could sell anybody, but we just had, we had a prototype and we talked to customers. And, and even though we didn't make any sales that day because there was nothing to sell and nobody could go on our website, talking with the customers firsthand and seeing what their interest was and listening to their buying questions really gave us the validation to know that, hey, I think we've got something here. So in the beginning, a lot of people told us that no one's going to spend over $50 on a dog bed. And we, we kind of took that feedback, but we thought, well, you know what? We can create something that's more than just a dog bed. We can create something that's designed to be tactile pressure mapped and help promote better joint health, allow nutrient-rich blood flow back into affected areas. And so we, we decided to keep going, and we, we made a sale on the website. We, well, the website we got working, finally. It was an old Joomla site at the time. And then we I remember Joomla. Yeah, and then we, we made a sale, then another sale, and then another sale, and organically kind of grew from there. And that's really how we got started. Nice. Again, I, just to reiterate, I love the fact that you started with a problem, and there was a clear sort of something's wrong here, and we've got to improve it. And then also when you mentioned about the price as well, nobody's going to pay $50, 50 pounds, 50 euros, whatever, for, for a dog bed. And I think how different the world has become in the last 10 years that actually, I think retailers and businesses alike, have, they've realized that actually there is no limit on how much you could charge for something. You just need to make sure there is a true value involved in that. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at Apple and it was like how much people were spending on computers, Apple was like totally out of financial reach for anybody, but they've only got more expensive, yet people are buying them in bigger and bigger quantities. Right. On the subject of Apple, actually, I bought one of the new um, Apple Mac M1 chips and I was astonished how fast it was. And the fact that my new MacBook is, I think it's 2,000 pounds cheaper, $2,000 cheaper than my last one. It was only six months older. Yeah, it's that much better. So I actually feel like Apple have finally given better value for the money that's, that's coming back sort of thing. But again, I think the point that, you know, you guys created something that has an emotive value, it's, it's worth more, and therefore people will buy it. They'll part with the cash if they can see, see a reason to. Absolutely. And I think that what we like to say is that we don't win on price, but we win on value. And I think that's important because yeah. I think people oftentimes associate value with uh, the word cheap. And people associate the word cheap with poor quality. And so I don't think that that's really, really the case. You don't ask some of the, the premium brands of the world, why aren't they making these things cheaper? The value is there. And if you're the right customer for it, people are willing to spend it. And I think really the job of all of us as entrepreneurs and Shopify store owners and whatever hat you might be wearing is not just to focus on a commodity product, but really build the value of how it's going to solve problems and benefit people. And to take it even a step further is how do you take the, the features of your product and tie it into a, a benefit for a customer mm. and really turn on that, that, that hot button that raises their perceived value. Oftentimes we talk about features. 
features, but we don't talk about what really what's the real benefit for the customer. And so that's something that that we really work hard on trying to articulate because it doesn't matter how great your product is if you're not able to tell the world about it. Yeah, definitely. I think I mean the most basic piece of sales training that I've ever been through, and I've 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 probably heard this statement several times, and it's always the features tell, benefits sell. And I think the digital wave we're in at the moment and we won't talk too much about COVID today because I think we've done that uh, <laughs> done that topic to death over the last 12 months, as we can all imagine. But yeah, I mean, that, that's just accelerated a digital wave that was already happening. And it's not just the case that people are buying online and not going to the shop. Actually, the technology is now advancing. And so the, the, the way that people then perceive what the value is and understand the benefits of something is, is so far beyond ever where it was. And I, I listened to an interesting interview recently, and I can't remember for the life of me who it was, but it's an interesting interview I found on YouTube. And the guy was talking about what you can do on a web page that you cannot do in a physical shop. And it just kind of struck me for a second that nobody ever talks about it that way around. People always say, oh, no, I want to go and test drive a car or try on a new piece of clothing or jump on a new bed that I want to buy, that sort of thing, to try it out. But actually what he was saying, which I found really interesting, is he was actually saying that, well, it's the other way around now. What can we do on a web page that we can't do in the store? On a web page, you can choose your size and get your exact bed made up using a cool app or a cool piece of technology on a web page. But you can't do that in a shop. How many different beds would they have to bring along and would they need to cut the bed to size and all that sort of stuff? So I think it's really interesting, actually, just seeing the way that digital has allowed those benefits to come across. Because then you can also talk about you know, what the bed does for you, how much better it makes your life. Absolutely. And to take that a step further, we're working on technology that helps bridge the gap between shopping at home and shopping in the store. Mm. And not only does it give you more access, for example, Shopify has 3D models available to where you can deploy them natively without an app now on almost all themes. And so that really allows you to put the product in the living room of the customer, which, yeah, you don't, you don't achieve that at a store, right? You don't get to see what that dog bed looks like next to the couch in the corner and now we can provide that experience and you're absolutely right it's just about technology is it's not just necessarily consumer behavior i think you made an interesting point it's about the fact that technology is caught up to kind of fill in some of these gaps yeah definitely and i think the 3d modeling you're talking about that's a tool you've created isn't it you mentioned that earlier that something you guys have put together that you're starting to use on shopify is that correct yeah so 3d modeling is not new obviously and what is new about it is that it can be deployed in shopify natively without an app so you can actually use it on your website right now and by putting a 3d model on your product page and allowing a customer to see it on all access you can actually give them a lot better clear access which raises their perceived value in fact if you deploy a 3d model on your on your product page you you get to see usually about a 30 percent lift in conversion now if you have a product that lends itself to augmented reality that's even better because then you can actually put the product in their living room and their in their home you can put the canvas on the wall however it might be and that's going to raise conversion rates exponentially if you listen to shopify they say about three times that's a 300 percent increase in conversion rate and i think wayfair is right now quoting three times three to four times as far as conversion rate lifts so 3d and augmented reality is definitely something to pay attention to definitely and i think i'll be honest with you about two or three years ago we were buying things for our new house i was genuinely taking pictures and photos shopping uh, different sofas in i've done that hey i've done it cut them in myself just trying to sell the concept to the other person in the house i think it's absolutely brilliant and there's some really good technology coming out at the moment similar to that from asos as seen on screen which i only found out it means that about a year ago yeah asos have got a really cool piece of tech now where you can put in your sort of measurements on their iphone app and it will show you different models wearing sorry it will show you a model that matches your physique wearing the different products you can see how they fit how they hang how they move when the model moves etc and you can sort of spin around it's all very interactive and all very cool and i think the same 
another one that we flag quite a lot, which I think they're just in the UK, called Glasses Direct. And you can kind of record like moving your laptop around your face for a second. And then you can try on any pair of glasses and you can try them on virtually and it'll have your face trying them on. It's not foolproof. Sometimes you sort of turn it slightly and the glasses lift up slightly, which they wouldn't right. in reality. But yeah, I mean, certainly it's a good piece of tech. And I personally have bought products from them and, and been very happy with them. They fit just as just as I experienced on the site. Well, that's super important, right? The authenticity of, because if it doesn't fit on site, if it doesn't look how it looked when you when you previewed it, then it, it kind of misses the point, right? And you're just going to return it, which is a waste of time and money for the retailer, especially. Exactly. So, I mean, authenticity matters. In fact, in e-commerce in general, I think that we're all in the authenticity space, right? Like authenticity is the currency that we trade on. If people don't trust, like, and know us, they're not going to do business with us. And so I think that that authenticity has to carry over into your product offering, whether you're using product photos or using 3D models, it needs to be an accurate representation of the product that accurately sets that expectation to when it shows up at the door. It's what they see is what they get. And that's kind of the problem with current 3D model efforts is that 3D models nowadays are mostly made by hand by 3D modelers. And what they do is they either take an item or they take a picture of an item and they create their interpretation of that item the best that they can. And oftentimes they look absolutely stunning and they look beautiful. But more often than not, they look inconsistent. They don't look photorealistic and they're not an accurate depiction of the product itself. And so we actually, a couple years ago, got into deploying these 3D models. We're early adopters because we we're so bullish on the technology. And on, through a kind of serendipitous situation, I ran into this company in Germany called ScanBlue that, that creates 3D models using proprietary scan technology versus actually having it hand-created by humans. And I had our dog bed scanned and I was just blown away by the quality and what they actually were doing is that we've actually become a North American partner for them. And so we uh, now have another company called ScanShop. You can find it at ScanShop.io if you want more information. And ScanShop, actually, you send the product in, we scan it, and uh, we send you a photorealistic 3D model versus having it created by hand. And so it's right on the cutting edge. And for the people that are Shopify, the fantastic thing is, unlike a WooCommerce or BigCommerce and a lot of other these platforms out there, they don't have the ability to deploy this yet. And so this is a tactical advantage in your particular industry where you can put out 3D models and your competition oftentimes isn't going to be able to match you. Sure. And I think I mean, as soon as you've got a 3D model, the like time on site and that sort of thing is so far beyond where it would be without, wouldn't it? Because it, it means they can actually play around with something. And then, of course, what's Google doing from an SEO point of view? It's looking at that time on site going, well, if we send people to this site, they have a really good experience. They spend ages of time on there. We send them to these other sites, they're back in a minute or two and click on the next one. So actually, which one are we going to put at the top of the rankings? Obviously, the one with the best experience. Yeah, the SEO stuff. That's a great point, having that. Also, you mentioned the user experience. I think from a standpoint of like, we, look, we all like to move the needle and we all want to do stuff that puts more money in the register at the end of the day, right? That's what gets me excited. But user experience is, is something that, that you have to have paid a lot of attention to, especially this day and age. And this is a differentiator between your user experience and your competitors. And so by providing them the ultimate user experience where they can actually experience the product in ways that they won't be able to anywhere else, it's a huge advantage and definitely something everyone should be looking at right now. Yeah, definitely. And there's also anyone who listened a couple of episodes ago, we did a, an episode about Google PageSpeed. And partly because Google's got, obviously got this massive announcement coming up in, uh, well, they made the announcement, massive algorithm change coming up in May, where user experience and page speed are going to be so important from then on. They're already very, very important. 
But what they're going to start doing is they're going to continue to prioritize sites that have good experience, good page speed. But the, the thing they're going to do is they're going to start pushing down sites that don't have a good experience where images don't load properly, the page speed is slow, can't find what you're looking for, the level of content's not deep enough to make a buying decision. So yeah, as, as we were talking about a couple of episodes ago on the podcast, absolutely key to start looking at this stuff. Give us an example then. So if we can't combine what you've been talking about with the 3D modeling, give us an example of where you would take that 3D modeling and you put it on the Buddy Brands, uh, the various websites you've got, the Shopify stores, where you're actually using it and the kind of things you're using it for then. Yeah, sure. So a great example would be BuddyRest. So BuddyRest.com. We make the world's best dog beds is the, uh, the the story I shared with you guys about what kind of brought us to the dance. And the dog beds are a great use case because you can actually, it's it's not as gigantic as something that's the size of your living room, but you know it's something you can deploy pretty much in any space. So you can see what it looks like. The only thing they can't do is really tell you whether your dog is going to love it or not. But I, I can tell you your dog will absolutely love it if you buy one of our products. But at the end of the day, <laughs> of course. really, it allows you to kind of manipulate the product in different angles and, and check it out, put it in a corner. Does it fit in this room? Does it look good next to the couch? And that's something that we focus on from a style and design standpoint. We believe that design is not just the way it looks, but also how it works. But on top of that, it definitely needs to look good. And if you look at any of our Buddy Rest products, we have a, a focus of creating a long-term piece of furniture that's going to look great in the living room or the bedroom for years to come. And our beds are designed to be super durable and you know last the lifetime of your animal. And so rather than these trendy pop patterns that are here one spring and then they're out of style the next spring and your, your bed ends up in the laundry room, we want it to be an accent piece for your living room. And this is kind of, it's one of the value props that we have is that it's a long-term piece of furniture. And so using the 3D modeling, it really uh, sets it apart because it allows you to see it in the living room. It allows you to, to try it in different spaces. And uh, the technology is out now where if you're concerned about a space concern, you know, it's 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 within a couple millimeters of accurate when it's deployed on your, on your cell phone on uh, AR or Android. So without all that in mind, dog beds are a pretty good use case but really the, the technology is only limited by our imagination. Every time I talk to a store owner, we come up with two or three use cases. Hey, wouldn't it be fantastic if we could do this or do that? And, and the thing is, is that we can do it all. It's just a matter of thinking it. We live in a technology-driven society today where really anything's possible. So it's just about having those, eliminating the self-limiting thoughts and figuring out what's the best way to push forward and provide the ultimate user experience. Definitely, definitely. And I think taking that user experience then, what are some of the big channels that you guys are quite heavy on in terms of marketing channels? So like, you've got this great experience. How do you drive traffic to your site then? And, and what sort of messages as well? So sort of second question, what sort of messages do you then couple into that before they've arrived? So what, what sort of stuff do you put into uh, in your advertising? Like, do you talk about the 3D modeling in it and say, see what it will look like in your room? Or do you wait until they've arrived on the page? Great just to kind of hear, you know, what, what's your marketing strategy with all of, all of this stuff? Yeah, sure. So we have a couple of different things going on. You know, as the years went by, we decided to grow into new market share and we acquired new businesses and we built some new companies as well. And we have, so we have a multiple brands now in the pet space. And the reason for our multiple brand approach is because not all dog people are the same. So we have Tough Pup brand, which is really focused on like military working dogs, police dogs, and it's more of a man brand. And it's not necessarily the same demographics that are on our natural doggy site, which is all about naturally derived ingredients for your dog. And so ultimately, it depends on what 
channel that we're on. It, it depends on which brand we're talking about, but in the purpose of kind of illustrating what some of our best strategies are, you know, on the BuddyRest site, we really kind of cut our teeth on PPC and Google AdWords. I know everybody looks at Facebook as the traffic store, but something that I think people are missing on Facebook is the intent. And, you know, intent's there with Google Shopping. And so if you're looking for people that want to buy some stuff, do not neglect Google. I think Google is a great avenue to make sales, and it's one of our primary avenues still. Obviously, Facebook plays a role. SEO, we put out a lot of engaging content and we try to we try to put out it consistently and regularly and we write it in a certain format and obviously we try to follow best practices but ultimately we focus on delivering helpful content that really is going to help people solve problems for pet people and that seems to work really well for us sure i feel like you're almost doing my sales pitch for me which is good so um maybe i get a commission later <laughs> yeah definitely definitely so i mean we, we we often take the same approach with brands i think everybody as you say they get very very distracted very very quickly by Facebook advertising and oh how good is this going to look on Instagram and that sort of thing whereas when we sit them down and we talk about exactly that buying intent people on Google are typing it in they want it now they're ready to buy and and often they've done that whole journey of research already and you talk about putting cool pieces of content out there well that's part of the research bit generally it's the sort of you know somebody saying why has my dog got issues with joints what's my dog's life expectancy etc and you guys like bam here's the solution for it and I think it coupled up really nicely. But as you say, Google is such a good place. But equally, and for good reason, Google is probably the most competitive then to get your brand out there to try and make some noise. For every keyword you type in on SEO, there's within reason, there's only, there's only sort of 10 results. And it does vary by user, by location, by current search history, etc. But generally speaking, you know, you're either at the top or you're not um, on SEO. And so I think there's certainly a very competitive market. But Again, often one of the bits of advice we give to small Shopify store owners is you've got to start somewhere. And if you're going to start somewhere, start with Google because the rewards, they won't be there overnight, but when they are there, they'll be so significant you could build a business around it. Absolutely. Whereas Facebook, they change the algorithm, they lock you out of your account because of some sort of setting on your login, which does happen. Yeah. It's gone. You know, And it's, yeah. it's very, very scary sometimes when we get calls from potential clients saying, we want to come work with you guys, but we're currently locked out of our facebook account and it's like what are we supposed to do we're not facebook and we don't know who to call yeah absolutely yeah the, having a diversified approach makes sense right yeah, being able definitely. not having your eggs all in one basket right and that's i think what you're talking about nick is being able to acquire different traffic different ways and also own those relationships i think that's super important especially nowadays when you see you were talking about earlier the rise of drop shipping and alibaba and amazon sellers you're really unless you're owning these customer relationships you're really at the mercy of the platforms that you're on right and you need to take the time to create a mode around your business by owning these relationships and making it less transactional and more relational. And, and I think that that's a big focus. One thing you mentioned about Google that I find super interesting is, is the, the buying intent that is there, right? And oftentimes I think new marketers make a lot of, they make two critical mistakes that might resonate. And I definitely, I've made a couple thousand mistakes, so I, I'm not here to give <laughs> sure. advice. But I definitely can share some experience, especially when it comes to making mistakes. But the two mistakes is oftentimes I think people start driving paid traffic or whether that be from Facebook or Pinterest or Google, before their site's really ready for it. And I always talk about you want to make sure you put on your best dress before you before you go to the dance, right? And oftentimes people think that they can just build a website and drive traffic to their website and that good things are going to happen. And that's just a recipe to waste a ton of money. Make sure you're following the best practices and make sure your website's optimized and make sure you have social proof and make sure that people are going to feel comfortable and trustworthy when they get on your website. Make sure your user experience is down and then you can start to deploy money and, and slowly into different avenues, in my opinion. But 
but the other thing that people focus too much on, I feel like in the beginning is people, they worry way too much about impressions. Exactly. Impressions don't pay the bills guys. So we got the impressions are, are nice maybe from a vanity standpoint. Oh, I had so many people come to my website, but at the end of the day, it doesn't, doesn't do a damn thing for you. What you need to worry about is how do I convert this traffic into sales? And if you're not converting traffic into sales, you're just wasting a ton of money and you're spinning your wheels really. So I think those two issues are something I see on a regular basis with people. And I would always encourage you to tighten up your tighten up your site first, make sure that you're, you're and by the way, that's an ongoing process. It's never done, right? Every day you get a little bit better. Every day it's continuous improvement. But make sure you're in a good place before you start running ads. I see so many people out there wasting money. So that was my public service announcement. Stop wasting <laughs> money, get your website right. No, I couldn't agree more. And actually one of the things we talk about a lot at Spec, my consultancy, um, we're forever talking about attribution and not not the argument of how do you attribute the sale. But what we do is we just talk very, very simply in black and white about, you know, especially with PPC and as you say, paid traffic, what have you spent and what have you made? And the made bit is revenue in the bank account now. Lifetime value and everything else can come later. People subscribing to a newsletter, that's all fine if you can prove with the data that, that new, those newsletter subscriptions are turning into revenue and fairly quickly as well because we, you know, you know how it works in sales leads get cold. That's why they talk about hot leads. People get cold. If I look on a website today in a month, I've already forgotten. So unless they retarget to me and get me back quickly, but by that point, they're already trying to hook me back. And as you say, if they got the experience right in the first place, the first time I landed on the site, I would have made a buying decision or I would have instantly ingrained in my brain. This is a cool brand. I like these guys. I might not buy today, but I'm going to remember them and come back, which then saves the advertiser a ton of money. But I think yeah, when we look at like just how do we attribute sales or, or not even attribution, just tracking, certainly with paid traffic, we always have the first thing, which is direct. So how many people have clicked on an advert and purchased something? And what's the total value of those purchases? So we'll agree with an advertiser like, okay, you want to make a two to one ROI. So every dollar you spend, you need $2 in your bank account to break even or just make a bit of profit. So we know it's not been a loss and you've got the new customer. And then we look at the, we look at kind of direct to make sure we're on, on target with that and make sure that is paying for the advertising and the cost of products and all that sort of stuff as well. Second tier, we then look at multi-journey and we don't focus on it, but we just want to know how much is Google Analytics, for example, telling me that PPC generated some interest and then they came back later and bought because I don't want to turn my PPC off if it's going to lose all that later. If they come back through SEO, for example, we don't want to turn PPC off and then find our SEOs dropped. And we think we've got two problems when actually it's one problem that we created because we look at the wrong data. And then the third thing is just what percentage of new users to the site are coming from PPC and what's the total site revenue? Because the two are probably working hand in hand a bit. But as you say, it really, it, it really does stop if that direct doesn't add up or at least get really, really close. We're talking within sort of 5 or 10% of target. And until then, as you say, I, I love the idea of, um, you know, we do a lot of sort of testing pilot campaigns run a small budget, get that direct ROI from people clicking on ads and buying something in that same journey or pretty soon after, get all of that tied up so you know you're at least break even if not into profit. And then the rest of the business will start to grow from that as well. And I think, as you say, so many people hit the market too early. And I, I, was, I was actually going to say back to your first point, the biggest danger in my opinion is if it works, <laughs> if they just kind of throw a website out and it works, right. they've now got a whole heap of problems they're not aware of yet. Like right. they're not going to know why it works. They're going to, it's going to be so easy to break because they haven't been on a journey of learning what works. There's just a whole heap of problems that are going to hit them in the future. Oh, absolutely. Well, when things work, it makes it, it makes you complacent. It's just like if you're flying a plane in the middle of the air and it's clear skies, it's probably, and I'm not a pilot, but I'd assume it's probably pretty easy once, once it's on autopilot and you're up there. 
Yeah. But when the fog sets in, when the fog sets in and times get tough, you need to know what your metrics are. You need to be able to read your altimeter. You need to be able to know what your KPIs are. Otherwise, you're going to crash into the side of a mountain, yeah, yeah. right? And I think that's a great point that you were saying, Nick, is that is that you got you got to know these things. And I think that's that's if if even though you didn't even prompt me with the question, as far as if I could add a third thing that I think people really could maybe uh, focus in on is is really knowing your numbers because I see a lot of people they think they know their numbers and then they when it comes to okay, well, how much does that cost landed? Oh, I didn't think to figure out the shipping costs in there. Okay, or oh, I didn't figure to think about that as an acquisition yeah. channel. Oh, I didn't think I didn't think of this. I didn't think of that. But really, I'll, I'll sales tax, big, big sales tax yeah, all sorts of ways is that you get bled from a standpoint of processing charges and whatnot. You need to know at the end of the day what's that really mean because so many people they have businesses that that generate revenue but not profit and ultimately that's not very sustainable so definitely know your numbers and know the real numbers not just kind of the the top surface numbers you got to dig in a bit and you got to test assumptions and you got to go and 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 flesh those things out cool and so on the subject of numbers as well now that we're here i've got another burning question for you and i've got a lot to say on this so i'll let you speak first on it okay the, the question is around lifetime value how do you build it how important is it to you guys? How how much more effective does it make everything we've just been talking about in terms of paid traffic, SEO, et cetera? Yeah. G- give us an overview of how you guys approach lifetime value, customer value, et cetera. It's the number one most important metric I think that you can pay attention to in your business. However, I think it's a double-edged sword. I think it I think you can blind if you if you don't know it and you're not tied on it, I think you can lose and waste a lot of money because oftentimes people use the fact that they're losing money but they have a high LTV to justify why they're losing money. But if, if those if those assumptions aren't 100% accurate, you're going to be in a world of hurt. So for us on the BuddyRest side, it's, it's interesting because we have a one-time buy for a lot of customers because we make a high-quality, durable, hard good that's designed to last the lifetime of their animal. And, and oftentimes, we get repeat business and people that buy another bed for another dog or they buy it for a, a vacation home or they buy it for another room in their house. But it's a much different scenario than when we're looking at our natural doggy side, right? On our natural doggy, and that if anybody wants to check it out, it's natural doggy, D-O-G-G-I-E dot com. We sell high quality supplements and things that really help animals with allergies, itching, anxiety, including CBD products. And that the LTV comes into play. It's a lot more important in that particular type of business because we're looking at consumables, recurring revenue, we have subscriptions. And when you figure out how the LTV works around then, then you're really able to grow that type of business because you're able to reinvest uh, money. You're able to look at margins on a more on a more macro level and being able to really figure out how to acquire customers profitably, which it's a little bit different. I mean, it's a little bit easier, really, when you're just selling a one-time product. But really, all of us, I don't care who you are, want to sell those recurring revenue products and get that recurring revenue. Uh, <laughs> Definitely. So that's my take on it, but I'm super interested to hear yours, Nick. Yeah, yeah I'll keep it brief. But no, I completely agree with everything you've said. I, I've used this analogy for years, and I need to improve it slightly, but it's somewhere between a, a water wheel and a snowball. But the concept is the same, that you've basically got this pool of customers going around in a circular motion. So they're kind of churning and spending money again and again and again. So like like you said, if somebody's dog's got an allergy and they go on a subscription model for five years, huge lifetime value. And I bet you guys are willing to pay for the first six to 12 months quite happily. If you know lifetime value is five years, if you can, if you can compete on a PPC front on, on Google, on Facebook, et cetera, at six to 12 months worth of revenue just to get them in to advertising cost, you can compete so heavily against everybody else. And it knocks your competition out of the park, all the alternatives, because you're always there because you can afford to be 
because you've done your sums and you've got customers on subscription. Even if you're selling at a loss is what you're saying. Yeah, right? because you're going to make profit down the line because the subscription exactly. lifetime value is going to be high and you can email about other products, adding more to subscriptions, etc. Um, but yeah, I always use the analogy of like a snowball or a water wheel. And there's all these customers kind of going around in circle, a good circle. The circle is they buy again, they buy again, they buy again. And on subscription, say it's a weekly or monthly subscription, that's happening every 30 days or every 31 days, which is good. And if you take that approach to a business like that, and then you, to add into the analogy, then you're just tipping in a little bit more water each time or adding a bit more snow to the snowball. Hence the snowballing effect is rolling down a big mountain. You then, uh, unlike other businesses, you're not reliant on trying to basically acquire an entire new set of customers every month. You know you've got 80, 90% of your monthly revenue on the subscriptions. You're just adding a few in every month. Essentially eases a lot of the pressure on your marketing campaigns, which is a really healthy place to be Absolutely. in. But then equally, if you don't relieve that pressure, if you decide, as you mentioned about complacency, you decide, no, we're not going to get complacent. We're going to keep increasing these targets, keep making direct, you know, profit directly from PPC. You're in such a healthy position to grow that business. The only direction to go in from there is, is, is up and onwards. But I think so many businesses we've worked with over the years, they, they haven't taken that approach. Their approach is people are only going to buy once from us, which I, a lot of business, I think they are wrong. They're only going to buy once from us. So we have to acquire an entire month's worth of revenue every month from new customers. And again, it's just a really dangerous place to be in. Because then if one month you have a bad month, where, where does that leave you? You spent the same in your advertising. You just haven't made the, any more back. It's really dangerous. It's 2021 now too. I mean, and that type of thinking is is so old. LTV has been around for a long time, but it's really been prominent the last 10 years in yeah. people making decisions on businesses, how you handle returns. One other thing uh, that I like to throw out there is is the, the it really, uh, from a supply chain standpoint, really makes your, your supply chain predictable and it really kind of evens out cash flow as well. So it's not just about making more money and turning around and acquiring customers. If you make physical products like I do, it makes your life a lot, lot easier knowing that you can count on that. The only thing I would caution people with is yeah, the model that you just described is absolutely spot on and I 1000% agree with you. But you have to manage your churn, right? That's like the yep. that's the wild card in there is the churn. And what does that actually do to your lifetime value? And what's the churn actually? How does it affect everything? And that has to be a consideration. Otherwise, the whole thing does not go. Yeah, definitely. No, I completely agree. And I think, I mean, my, my business itself is a churn business. We have clients, they're on retainers, they have a notice period. But yeah, the, the churn is the word that's always been floated around internally here. And it's exactly the same for subscription businesses. I think especially with the retail business and e-commerce business, you just need that one bit of bad press or, which has happened in the UK recently, there's loads of shaving brands where you subscribe online, they send razors to your house for you to shave. One appeared and did really, really well, but they lost almost all of their market share when another one arrived and had bigger footballer influencers, all the rest of it, made more noise on TV, just swallowed up the entire market. And now the market itself is shrinking because people have kind of come back around to the realization that I can buy them in the supermarket or I can get an electric razor and then I don't need to keep buying blades and the rest of it. I can just have one raisin. Or like me, you've got a, you've got a drawer full of blades that you got every month you never used from, from years ago. That's what happened <laughs> yeah, to me. Yeah. Is I, I kept getting more and more and more, and I was like, I don't need all these things. And eventually, I still have some from, I think, a two or three years ago. Yeah, I'm exactly the same. So I think one bad bit of press, though, could, could knock that business for six. And yeah, I'm exactly I've, I've still got about 20 razors or something in my cupboard in the bathroom. <laughs> I prefer the electric ones now because it's like you don't have to faff about with shaving. You just shave and it's done. <laughs> it takes five minutes. 
Oh, yeah. Not only that, I mean, like, hey, we're not all showing up to the office every morning either. So, hey, maybe you don't shave and just put on some sweatpants and everything's all gravy. I'm with <laughs> I'll get complaints too. at home if I do that. But um, no, I, I don't disagree. <laughs> anyway, let's bring it around to some of the tech then. So we spoke about marketing, about how you're growing the business, about your products, lifetime value. So we covered a lot already, but Shopify, what brought you to Shopify apart from you've mentioned about the 3D modeling or was that the reason? No, actually we made the move to Shopify a couple of years ago and this is after spending a ton of money and making a ton of mistakes and specifically, so we moved from Joomla originally and then we moved to, to Magento and why did we want to go with Magento? Because at the time, all the big dogs, all the major retailers were using Magento yeah, yeah. and we thought like, hey, if we want to be a big dog, we need to use Magento too. The problem with that is it takes a pretty significant amount of dev time and you have to have uh, some really strong developers with you. You know, it's one of those things on Magento where I'm like, oh, I want to change this picture from from this picture to that picture or I want to move this line of text here to there. And since I'm not I'm not uh, a coder, I'd go in there and make a little change. Yeah, you get the quote from the developer and it's like, how much? <laughs> yeah, mega money. Well, exactly. It's like, hey, to move a picture, like I can do that. So I'll go in there and I'll, I can move a little bit of code around. I'm a smart guy and I do that and boom, the whole website goes down. And so after, after about, literally we put about $300,000 into a Magento build and it was really hard to get away from that because you keep throwing good money after bad money and good money after bad money and you're, you feel like you're kind of pot committed, invested in this website. And at the time, when I first switched to Shopify, I wasn't blown away with all of uh, the features of Shopify or anything in it, because I don't think it just, it was just was not near as robust as it is today. But what I really did, what I was drawn to it was the fact that I did not need to deal with developers for the most part. Now, keep in mind, there's some stuff that you need custom developed, and I got a couple of developers I work with. I love them. They're awesome. But the fact that I don't have developers in my life on a regular basis daily is a fantastic thing, and I would highly recommend it for everybody. And being able to go in there and making adjustments on the fly and really democratizing the ability to create a high-end website for everybody is really what drew us to Shopify. Definitely. I couldn't agree more. And I think the other interesting thing about Shopify that you kind of touched on there as well is about the developers. I found that a lot of the companies we work with now on the Shopify front, a lot of the agencies we work with in the UK and the US they did come from Magento. They came from Hybris, from Oracle Cloud, and some of the really, really big platforms, ones that would dwarf Magento. But still, if you're spending 300K building a Magento site, you then compare that to what people are spending on Hybris or whatever. But we, we, we're actually launching a website at four o'clock in the morning tonight. So I'll be awake quite early for this one. But yeah, we're launching, it's going to be one of the biggest Shopify Plus stores in the UK. And when we asked them initially in the initial pitch a couple of years ago, when we started talking about this, we said, well, what's the, why, why move to Shopify? What's the big drive? They're currently on Hybris. And they said, we just can't build a page. We can't move anything. We can't change anything. And what's been interesting is then the experts, you know, the web developers, the web agencies, what they're focusing on now is what they're really good at, which is not putting code together. That's the kind of, we've all agreed what needs to happen. We just need to make it work now. And what they actually deliver looks nothing like what they initially, initially said they were going to because they came up against technical problems. But with Shopify, they actually spend their time going through conversion rate optimization and user experience and spending a lot more time thinking about brand and design. And even Magento 2, we've got quite a few clients that use M2. And it's just, it's fine if you've got all the developers. It's fine if you're quite a clunky kind of in industrial type business. But Shopify, out the box, all the templates look great. The way it works you can put something like Shogun or, or whatever into it as a page building resource. So I don't know if you guys are using something like that, but you know, yep, just, using Shogun. brilliant. I mean, Shogun is what we're launching on this new site tomorrow morning. So yeah, it's, it's great. You just click, I want a whole new full width background. And... We need to get that. We need to get that Shogun revenue dollars oh, yeah, coming definitely. in. 
definitely. So I think we, we did. A, <laughs> if you're listening, Shogun, there's some free. Yeah, yeah we, there. we had a quick. We did have a quick chat with them about something, and they they are keen to come on in the future. It's just getting the right series, so we might get Shogun on here. But again, page builder, which then takes Shopify from being less like WordPress, where it's just title and description, and being more like a can actually build web pages here. I can I can actually manage a blog within an e-commerce platform. I mean, that alone is just unheard of when you compare that to what people are trying to do on Magento and stuff. So just, just to ask you the last couple of questions then, are there any apps that you would absolutely swear by? And I didn't mean to make the joke, absolutely. But <laughs> any any particular apps you're using on Shopify that you're like, we could not survive without this, it's increased revenue, it's an absolute go-to. I'm a big fan of bold apps in general. So we use bold subscriptions. We switched over from Recharge or a couple of years back and... Um, Really like Bold in general. And the reason we like to keep Bold, Bold has a really robust offering of apps. We like to use them because we know that they all work together really well and they work on the site really well together. And I think oftentimes, and even though I know it's it's not supposed to be the case, but I find the more different apps you put on there from different developers, there's all sorts of different a sloppy code and whatnot, JavaScript that really can slow yeah. your site down and really affect things. And really sometimes things don't play together well. You'll install something new and like, all of a sudden, your, your your product picker, your thumbnails don't populate. And you're like, what's going on with that? Well, you found out there was a conflict because you, you installed you know something else that was uh, conflicting code. And so we try to keep with everything as, as smooth, clean as possible. We try to eliminate appitis. I see a lot of the new Shopify people. They are like looking for that magic app that's going to be that that next thing that's going to take them to the next level. And there's there's definitely some some apps out there that can make to move the needle and make a difference. But you don't want to download 50 apps on your store. It's going to slow things down. And then the other thing is you don't know how they're going to play well together. So we like bold apps. They play well together. They pretty much take care of everything that we need. We have not made the move to Plus. We've looked at it a couple different times. We've ended up kind of coming back, and maybe this is incorrect. I'd love to get your your take on it, Nick. But we've kind of come back to the fact that with the functionality that we need, we can really accomplish it with the the apps that are created out there, unless we're doing something you know bigger and custom. And also, probably has something to do with my tendency to want to stay away from developers. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm a little traumatized. I think with with Plus, we actually had Tim Sumner from Shopify Plus on the podcast before Christmas. Awesome, good friend of mine. And actually, the client we're launching tomorrow morning, he was part of the reason we won the pitch. Is we brought him in to say, look, we know Shopify here's what they're saying about this move the reason they've gone with plus is a few a few fold one is that they have some internal developers already so they have an it team of about 40 because they're quite a large business here in the uk and they're doing quite a lot in europe and the us as well at the moment but yeah so they've got some developers already they needed the customer service element so with plus you have 24 7 live chat they guarantee a response within a minute so there's the little things like that that are quite good the integration they need as well when somebody orders a product or does click and collect in store they need all of that to tie up. And the API feeds, they just got so much more from Shopify on Plus. And then also the payment gateway features. So actually all the reasons they're using Plus to me don't sound like reasons for you to use it. I think I think you probably will need it one day, but the good news is it's not like moving from Magento 1 to Magento 2 where you have to build a whole new site. You click a button, they'll probably, don't quote me on this, and I probably shouldn't say this publicly, but you can always ask if you can have a free trial. They might say, yeah, we'll bump you up for 30 days. We'll have a chat in that last week and see how you've got on. And these are some of the things we'll, we'll help you with and give you the support for 30 days. But yeah, certainly Tim Sumner in the UK and there's a few guys in the US and the Plus team. Absolutely worth chatting to. One thing I love about them is they don't push Plus. They're not Plus for the sake of it. They're Plus if you need it. And I think that's really, really important. So yeah, it does have a few extra features. It generally is better for scalability. You get a lot more engagement with Shopify. So if something goes wrong, they'll troubleshoot, look into it for you. On the basic program, you've got to do that yourself. 
on the normal Shopify. So, I mean, that said, we've got a couple of retailers that did like $10 million last year on Shopify, not plus. So that's absolutely fine. Um, but certainly when you get to international, multi-store, multi-currency, all of that becomes much, much easier on Plus as well. So if you don't need any of that at the moment, don't go with it is my advice. I think we're very, yes, I run the Winning with Shopify podcast, but I've said before on here, and I think I've said it in front of Shopify on here, we're platform agnostic. We have clients that would not be right for Shopify at all. Even e-com clients who would not be right for Shopify. So I think it's about finding the right platform for you guys. I think that's, that's great advice, Nick. It's all about what works for you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Cool. And then final question, which is, obviously the most important question with any of these podcasts you mentioned some of the websites already and stuff give us the full a to z of how people can get in touch with you like if they want to talk about 3d modeling if they want to check out your stores where where do they need to go to get hold of this stuff sure yeah i'm I'm definitely accessible and available you can find me on linkedin if you want to talk to me personally it's trevor crotts c-r-o-t-t-s i'm happy to connect with anybody if you're on clubhouse it's trevor j um, at trevor j on clubhouse you can find Buddy Rest at BuddyRest.com. You can find uh, Natural Doggy at NaturalDoggie.com. Uh, tough Pup at ToughPup.com. And then you can also, if you're interested in getting 3D models, we can talk about that too. We're at ScanShop.io. That's uh, ScanShop.io. And I'm just happy to connect with anybody. We have a, an agency as well. And you know we're building really on the focus of our agency is building an agency for the future, which is really now. And you know, so we're incorporating a lot of interesting new things, AR, VR, drones, stuff that other agencies aren't really looking at right now. So we're definitely kind of the, the agency for the future. And that's actually Compelled Digital Commerce, if you want to check that out. I just want to appreciate the time with you today, Nick. And I've actually learned a lot from you and I hope that there's people out there that got some value, but if you want to connect with me, I'm definitely available. Let's connect. Happy to chat. Thank you so much, Trevor. I really appreciate you joining on the show today. And I think we certainly covered some good stuff and in a good way, stuff we've covered before, but from a completely new angle, other new things like 3D modeling is something we've not spoken about in here for a long time. So um, no, thank you so much for joining. Really, really appreciate having you on. Likewise. Thanks, Nick. Take care. And for everybody else listening, uh, we'll be back next week. We post every Friday. Um, and if again, if you haven't hit that subscribe button yet, please do hit it. I found out the other day that somebody had listened to the last 110 episodes, uh, which is almost all of them. We're at about 125 um, and they still haven't subscribed. They literally go on Google and find the Winning with Shopify podcast on, on iTunes every time. So feel free to hit that button, turn notifications on, they'll all pop up, that sort of thing. And you can also support the show by checking out our Facebook group as well, which is just Winning with Shopify. Feel free to ask any questions on there. We are planning um, a couple of other series in the future. One with Trustpilot at BrightPearl, which I'm delighted to announce today. And that's going to be in the next couple of weeks' time. We're going to be talking about how to build trust on a web page and with your customer base. And then we're also looking at quite a few other bits further forward into the future as well. So thanks for tuning in today. We're back next week. And uh, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Sign up for free for the Shopify-approved marketing course at 1000salesandbeyond.com and get our show notes at justaskparker.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening to the Winning with Shopify podcast. See you next time.